John chapter 3. Um, over, I know I said this two weeks ago or three weeks ago, whatever it was at this point, but as we kind of walk through this book of John, as we spend a lot of time in this text, as I spent time in this text over the past uh, several days, several, yeah, several days, it's been so refreshing to sit under the Gospel of John for long periods of time and to hear of the divinity of our Lord and Savior. It's been refreshing. I find myself constantly going back to John 1 and the deep, deep words that the author writes regarding who exactly our Lord and Savior is. And then as we come to John 3 today, in many ways, what we are going to look at here at the end of the text, at the end of the chapter this morning, is a briefer but very similar exhortation that he writes in chapter 1. It's, I, I, you can't miss the connection between John 3, 31 and 30, 36 and John 1. They are linked together. The stories, the things that fall in between John 1 and the end of John 3 are there purposefully. And as I sat in this text over the last several days, how striking it was. I remember I said this to you a few weeks ago about my, my conversion. The day I was sitting in church and I, the gospel struck me for the first time and the pastor says to, or the guy sitting next to me, Nick, says, go home and read the book of John. He heard me praying the sinner's prayer, right? And he says, go home and read the book of John. And I read the book of John. I read the book of John, and, and here we are preaching through the book of John, and it just takes me back to those days of infancy in Christ. And it's like when you think back, right, for us adults here, you think back to those times when you were a child, and you're like, yeah, that was good. That was nice. You smell something, and it smells like grandmother's kitchen, right? You're like, that was good. That was nice. You see something, and it reminds you of a parent, of something long ago, and that was, that was good. And that's what it's like sitting here reading John 3, working through John 3. It's like sitting here and thinking back to those days of infancy. Like, yeah, that was good. That was good. And so today we turn to John 3, verses 31 to 36. The author writes this. He says, he who comes from above all or he who comes from above is above all. I'm sorry. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. The repetition there is not to be missed. He, the one from above, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. And yet no one receives his testimony, right? We hear echoes of John 1. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent, the one from above, he whom God has sent, utters the words of God. For he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son 
shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Let's pray. Father, this morning, may your word go forth, Lord, by your spirit, and may you do some work that only you know. Be with us this morning. Lead us through this text, Father. May we honor and worship you through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So I apologize up front, but I have to have a Lord of the Rings analogy to open this. So my for, please forgive me. Many of you know Gandalf, the wizard from Middle Earth, right? Gandalf was a Istari, a wizard, a Maiar. He came from outside. And these wizards, they came from the outside into Middle-earth for a purpose. They all had their set tasks to achieve. Now, mind you, any analogy will fall short at some point. But it works. So, these wizards, they have a task to complete. Gandalf's task was the task of the ring. His job was to aid in the destruction of the ring. Right? That was his point. And he comes in, he comes in from away. He comes in from the outside, into Middle-earth. And while he's there, his whole focus is set on completing this mission, on fulfilling the task that is at hand. That's what he was sent to do. That was his purpose. And everywhere he goes, though, everywhere he goes, he encounters people who have no interest in hearing what he has to say. He travels around Middle-earth to different cities, to different places, to bring warnings, to try and get people to join him. And almost everywhere he goes, he is cut down. He is sent away. He is rejected. He always brings trouble with him. Nobody wants him around. But there are a few. There are a few, nine and a few more, who take Gandalf's words for what they are. And they follow him. They follow him. And the story ends, you'll have to read it, but the story ends as our story will too end one day. With victory. With completion of the mission. Completion of the task. And we see in this text here a grander version, a true version of what Tolkien was writing about Gandalf. We read here about this Messiah, this one from above, to use John's language. We read of this man from above who comes in from the outside proclaiming something, and yet what he is proclaiming is rejected by so many. But there are a few who follow there are a few who receive, testify, bear witness to what this one from above has to say. And it is partially through them that it is revealed that God is true. So this morning, we enter into this text, the context of this chapter, of, this, of these verses, I mean, I'm sorry. Immediately, this is the author's note. This is an end note to the chapter. 
right? Over the past few weeks, we've read about these conversations that John the Baptist has had with his disciples. We've read about these conversations that Jesus has had with Nicodemus. We've read through the monologue that Jesus had spoken to Nicodemus. And here we have this summary, this author's note regarding the completion or at the end of this chapter. In some ways, it's like, it's like the, you know, when you watch a TV show, and it's, it's a little backwards in this picture, but when you watch a TV show and you sit down and last week's episode you don't quite remember, so the creators of the show put in there for you like a little recap of what has happened, right? I watch the West Wing regularly, and like oh, in the beginning of each episode they always have recaps of things that happened like months ago. That's kind of what this is. It's recapping for us the themes, the events that happened just prior. Just prior. We have a summary of the events. And in the grander scale, in the grander context of John chapter 3, right, this all flows, as I said earlier, this all flows out of the beautiful words of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. We can't miss those words because he who comes from above comes from the triune community, the eternal triune community. He is God. All things were made through him. These beautiful words from John 1. Christ's divinity. He is God. The two signs that he, we've seen so far. The wedding. Turning the water into the wine. The temple. Tear this thing down and I will, be, I, I will build it up in three days. These two signs that we've seen so far. And also, the call of the disciples. The call of the early disciples. Right? We read these these words, I love these words when, when Andrew goes to find his brother. What does he say? We have found the Messiah. I mean, he couldn't have known Jesus for more than, I don't know, like an hour. We found him. We found the Messiah. Think of the words that, that Nathaniel says. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And when we look at our text this morning, right, I'm, I'm front-loading all of this. We look at the text this morning, we see all of these things from John 1 up through this conversation that John the Baptist has with his disciples summarized in this end note from the author. So let's look at it. Let's look at it. All flowing out of John 1 and flowing into this author's note. Point one. Consider the great men and women of history, okay? Who comes to mind? The great men and women of history. Think about them. None of their greatness, none of their greatness comes remotely close to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Consider the great men and women of history. None of their greatness comes remotely close. 
to the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Verse 31. He who comes from above all, or he who comes from above, is above all. You can't mince your words there. He who comes from outside. He who comes from away. He who comes from externally. He is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. And again, he who comes, now he's more specific, not just from above, but he who comes from heaven is above all. So who comes to mind? Who comes to your mind as you think of the great men and women of history? Maybe you think of military conquerors, Mark Antony. Maybe you think of Genghis Khan. Maybe you think of Douglas MacArthur or Dwight D. Eisenhower. Maybe in our American context, you think of George Washington. I just finished a biography on him. Pretty incredible human being with flaws, many, many flaws, but did something quite amazing. Maybe you think of Abraham Lincoln. Maybe you think of Frederick Douglass. Maybe you think of Jackie Robinson. Maybe you think of Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods. If you're a music person, maybe you think of Elvis, the King, the Beatles, Johnny Cash, George Jones, some of my favorites. These are the people who come to mind when you think of greatness, right? You think of greatness, these are the people who come to the fore. But here's what Jesus says in Matthew 11, 11. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 11, 11. He says this of John the Baptist. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. That's what Jesus says of John the Baptist. And think of all the people who I haven't mentioned that came before John the Baptist. Jeremiah, Isaiah. Daniel, King David, Abraham, Moses, the patriarch. Of all of these people who have been born of a woman, Jesus says John the Baptist is the greatest, not Michael Jordan, not King David even, not Abraham. John the Baptist. But again, we cannot forget what Pastor Jeff preached last week. What does John the Baptist say? So we look at Jesus' words pointing to the greatest human born of a woman. And what does the greatest human born of a woman say? What does he say? He says, I am not the Christ. I am not the Christ. I have been sent before him. And as Jeff said last week, as we, he read from, from this gospel... He, Jesus, must increase, and I must decrease. The greatest human born of a woman of all time, he must decrease. He must decrease. And who must increase? Jesus Christ. The one who came from above. The one who came from above is above all. The one who came from heaven is above 
all. Our attention must be turned away from ourselves. Our attention must be turned away from our heroes. Our attention must be turned away from those we worship in our little kingdoms. And we must, we must turn our attention to the one who has came from away. To the one who has broken in from the outside. As the author, I think, is pointing out here, Jesus' authority comes from the fact that he comes from the outside. That's where his authority comes from. What do we celebrate at Christmas time? We celebrate the breaking in. We celebrate the breaking in of this Savior in the incarnation. To be made in the flesh, he comes from away and he breaks in for a purpose. And that purpose is to save you and to save me. Christmas in July, right? We're kind of in that season, although nobody celebrates it, but it's something we hear a lot about. Christmas in July. What do we sing? My favorite Christmas carol. Hark the herald angels sing, says this. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Think of these words as we talk about the one breaking in from outside who is above all, who comes from heaven. Peace on earth and mercy mild. Here's the point. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, right? David in Indonesia proclaiming this word. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim. What do they proclaim? That Christ has been born in Bethlehem. Christ by highest heaven adored. Christ the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come offspring of a virgin's womb. Love this part. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. We'll get there later as we get into this chapter, these verses. But veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel, Christ with us. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness, light and life and all he brings, risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth and maybe my favorite verse the last one come desire of nations come fix in us thy humble home rise the woman's conquering seed genesis 1 or 3 i mean i'm sorry bruise in us the serpent's head adam's likeness now efface stamp thine image in its place what words that is Final Adam, from above, reinstate us in thy love. We talk about the God-man 
breaking in from externally. We sing that song at Christmas and we sing these incredibly deep truths that John is writing to us here. That this one who comes from above, veiled in flesh, the second person of the Trinity, God the Son, the God-man, coming to be incarnate in the flesh, coming from outside, right? It's like that, it's like the Hebrews passage, chapter 5, or no, 3, I'm sorry. Jesus has been counted more worthy, worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. Consider those words. We preached through that a while ago, but not too long ago. This Jesus, this one from above, this one from heaven, the Son of Man, all of these things that John uses to refer to our Lord and Savior, he has been counted as more worthy. He has been counted of worthy of more glory than Moses. Just as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. In Buffalo, there's multiple houses that have been built by the architect Frank Lloyd Wright. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a famous architect from like the 40s maybe, 50s, I don't know. He's got three houses in Buffalo. The Martin House, the Walter Davidson House, and the Darwin Martin's Gardener's House. His most famous one is probably Falling Water, which is Chicago-ish maybe, I think. But I had to Google the names of those. I didn't know them. I grew up in Buffalo. I knew there were houses built by Frank Lloyd Wright in Buffalo. But I had to Google the names of those houses. I didn't have to Google the name of Frank Lloyd Wright. I knew him. I knew who he was. I've driven by those homes regularly. They're not far from my dad. And it is like that. The house is nice. The house is good but the real glory goes to the one who built it, who constructed it, who designed it. And that is the case of the one who comes from above. The builder of the house, the house being the church, the one who built the church being the one who comes from above is worthy of far more glory than any of your heroes or my heroes. Jesus, the one who comes from above, like Thor in that first movie, he comes crashing into earth, smash, nobody knows what in the world is going on. Some superhuman guy just smashed into the world. Who is he? Who is that guy? And that's kind of what is happening here as Jesus smashes into the earth in a form of a child, and 33 years later turns it up on its head. This man who has come from outside, what do we do with him? And I think there's a warning in this passage for us. I think there's a warning for us here. And here's that warning. We must be on guard against the Christian cult of celebrity. The hero worship in the Christian culture is alive and well. I hear it out of my own mouth. 
I hear it out of our mouths. And it has become, I think, a major problem. We think that, okay, I get done at church this morning and I can go to Spotify and listen to Al Mohler tomorrow morning five times a week for ten minutes. Because he's like God. We would never say that with our mouth, but the way we talk, it sounds an awfully lot like that. We can turn to Spotify, podcasts, and hear our heroes who back in the day you would have never known at all who they were. The Christian cult of celebrity is alive and well. But as Jesus, or I'm sorry, as John tells us here, our attention must not be fixed on those useful tools that are there to help us. Our attentions must be fixed on our Lord and Savior. Jesus is worthy of more glory than Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Jesus is worthy of more glory than John MacArthur. Jesus is worthy of more glory than John Piper. Jesus is worthy of more glory than Mark Dever or Al Mohler or Martin Lloyd-Jones or any of the Puritans. Jesus is more worthy. And so what do we make of this little in-between? He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. I think he's referring to John the Baptist. I think he's referring to Nicodemus. Like I said before, I think he's referring to all of the conversations he has had with people thus far. Right? Recall the conversation with Nicodemus. Recall what he says. Let me find it. He says, I can't find it at the moment, but he says that if you're, you are so enamored and stuck on these earthly things, you don't, well, no, he says you don't even understand these earthly things. How in the world then are you going to understand these heavenly things? Referring to the rebirth, right? Rebirth happens here on earth. I think that's what he's referring to as earthly things. I don't think he's referring to sinful fleshly things. I think he's talking literally about things that happen here on earth. As John the Baptist, what did he do? He preached and baptized with water, but he pointed to the one who was going to preach and baptize by water and spirit. Our attention must be taken away from these earthly things that reside here and must be stretched and lifted up above towards those heavenly things or he, the heavenly one who breaks in from the outside. Jesus, his superiority is greater than all else. Verse 2, or point 2. Jesus' superiority comes by the very nature of who he is. His authority comes by the very nature of who he is. 32 to 34. He bears witness. Jesus, the son of man, he bears witness to what he has seen and heard. And yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this. To what? That God is true. For he 
whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. So what do I mean when I say that his superiority comes by the very nature of who he is? Hints, I think 32a, hints of this. He bears witness to what he has seen. He bears witness to what he has heard. And I don't think this thing he is bearing witness to is the first 32 years of his life. I think, or earthly life. What he has seen and what he bears witness to is what he came from. Where he came from. The eternal Trinitarian community of the Godhead. He didn't just pop up like Thor did at the incarnation out of nowhere. He came from somewhere and he bears witness to what he has seen. He wasn't created or made, but he bears witness to what he knows from prior to his condescension. So what is this nature? What is this nature that we are referring to? I'm going to read from our confessions the 1689, why would we use such things, you may ask? Why would we use such confessions to guide us? Because they provide helpful answers when we have questions like this. Answers that, honestly, are a whole lot more eloquent than ones I would give. That's why we use them. Because they are roadmaps. They keep the, ra the rails on the side of the streets. Here's what the authors of the Second London Confession wrote about this one who comes from above. The Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, being very and eternal God, the brightness of the Father's glory, of one substance and equal with him who made the world, who upholds and governs all things he has made did when the fullness of time was complete take upon him man's nature with all the essential properties and infirmities of it, yet without sin. This one who comes from above. With all the essential properties, I just read that, being conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the Holy Spirit coming down upon her in the power of the Most High overshadowing her, and so was made of a woman of the tribe of Judah, of the seed of Abraham, according to the scriptures, so that two whole, perfect, distinct natures were inseparably joined together in one person, without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. This is the one who comes from above. This is the one who comes from heaven, who bears witness to what he has seen and to what he has heard. What has he seen and what has he heard? The authors of, these, of this confession write this. The Lord our God is but one, only living and true God, whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection. This is what Jesus bears witness to. This Godhead and the promise that comes. We'll get to the promise. Whose essence cannot be comprehended. We don't, his nature, 
don't know. It's God. We don't know it. But that, that's who he is. His essence cannot be comprehended by any except himself. A most pure spirit, invisible without body parts or passions, who only has immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will, for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And withal, most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. He bears witness to what he has seen. He bears witness to the perfect triune community from where he came. And he bears witness to the covenant that was made between him and God the Father to eternally redeem a people for himself. He bears witness to that. He is the son of man to be lifted up, to give new life to the dead, to rid the sinner of his condemnation, to shine light into the darkness, to destroy the darkness. That is what he bears witness to, the promise that that is to be. You see, all things that happened in chapter 3 earlier, he bears witness to the new birth. Baptism by spirit and water. New life. Light breaking in. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He bears witness that that is the reality. And yet, and yet, even with this nature, he is still rejected. Think of Isaiah 53. Think of the suffering servant. Recall John 1, 9 to 13, since we're right here. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Again, we hear echoes of this same passage. He was in the world. The light was. Jesus, the word, was in the world. The world was made through him. And here's what John says. Yet the world did not know him. So yet even as the God-man breaks in, the world did not know him. I had wrestled with this text this morning mostly because I was worried about the length I was going to go and preaching it. And here's the deal. I still have three more pages. So... We're going to pause. We're going to hit the pause button right here so that way we can pick up next time in verse 32. All right? But for the point this morning, for the point this morning, as I front-loaded everything earlier, here's what I want us to hear. Here is what I need us to hear. Here is what we need to hear. Here is what the point of this morning is and the point of tomorrow or next Sunday will be and the point of every Sunday is going to be. He who comes from above is above all. 
He who comes from heaven is above all. That's the point. That's the point. That he is the authority. Our little lives, our little kingdoms are not the authority. Our little heroes are not the authority. Though Lord willing they may point to the authority. They are not our authority. Our authority comes from the one as we read and hark the herald angels sing. The one veiled in flesh. The one who came in time. Out of the virgin's womb. The one who comes to remove the first Adam's sin and stain. And replace it with his. The second Adam's glory. He is the one. The son of man who comes from above who breaks into this reality and he bears witness to what he knows to be true the promise for his people the promise for his elect our great hope as he hinted at to Nicodemus when he said just as Moses raised up the bronze snake on the pole. So the son of man must be raised up. Right? Remember the story. Remember the account from the wilderness. The Israelites were cursed by God. Punished because of their constant moaning. And snakes were put everywhere. And they would bite you. And they would put their venom in you. And you would surely die. But the people of Israel repented. And God says to Moses, put this bronze serpent up upon a stick, up upon a pole. And when the people look and see the serpent, they will not die. This is the one who comes from above. This is the one who bears witness to what he has seen and heard. This covenant of redemption that was made between God the Father and God the Son. It involves the Son being lifted up on a pole. So that like the Israelites, when they were bitten and were certain to die, they could look and see the one on the pole and know that there is life. That's this one from above. That is this son of man who has broken in from outside. Look and see him raised up on the pole so that you, me, may not surely die. Because he's there and he is risen, seated right now at the right hand of the Father coming again. We will continue 32 to 36 next week as we talk about what he testifies to, what he sees, he knows to be true, and what our response is to the one who is broken in. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. I thank you that you have given us a word that you 
have aided us in digesting. And Father, though there is so much to go through, Lord, you give us grace that we can go through it. And so, Lord, this morning, may our eyes be fixed upon the one who has broken in from outside, the one who is above all, the one who is from heaven. Let our eyes be eternally, ever fixed upon him, the Son of Man, our great hope, our only hope, the one whom we testify to and about. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.